Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for On Patrol with the PPD, airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to On Patrol with the PPD here on WTVR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio. Thanks for joining us this sunny Friday morning. My name is Mike Wynn. I'm the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield and one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this weekly radio program. I'm joined in studio this morning by IT guru, smart Gary Munn, working the board. Good morning, Gary. Morning, Chief. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And uh, Communications Outreach and Professional Standards Commander, awesome Gary. Traversa. Good, Good morning, morning Gary. <laughs> Jeez, you say it once and it sticks. And it sticks. <laughs> and uh, we have a special guest in studio with us this morning who we'll introduce briefly. Uh, but before we get to the rest of the program, let's, uh, or not, not briefly, see, my English teacher we met shortly. It's going to be a long introduction that will occur in a short period of time. There uh, you go. But let's get a check of this morning's weather. Gary? WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area. Winter weather advisory in effect from 7 p.m. this evening to 10 a.m. EDT Saturday. Today, mostly sunny. A slight chance of snow showers this morning. Highs in the mid-40s. West wind 10 to 15 miles per hour with gusts up to 25 miles per hour. Chance of snow 20%. Tonight, a chance of rain in the evening. Snow. Snow accumulation of 3 to 5 inches. Cold with lows around 30. Southwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour, becoming east after midnight. Chance of precipitation 90%. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Thank you, Gary. Wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong button. We're experiencing technical difficulties. So thanks for tuning in. Join us again this morning for On Patrol with the PPD, uh, as has been the case for the last several weeks. Uh, we're kind of off of our established format that we had been working with for the first several months that this program was in existence, and we're not really doing a, a morning news segment. But I did have a department head meeting yesterday morning. Um, I guess it technically qualifies as a department head meeting, even though it occurred via Zoom, which uh, brings a whole bunch of different technological challenges with it. And one of the things that came up during that department head meeting is that um, historically, the the hour or the half hour segment before our weekly show is usually the Cultural Pittsfield radio show. And as we've said in um, the last several weeks, we are we on patrol with the PPD is one of two programs that's remaining uh, live broadcast during this global pandemic. Everything else is either being produced remotely or has been suspended or they're in reruns. And it, so one of the things that came out is that uh, the city's Office of Cultural Development <coughs> uh, with Jen Glockner and Siobhan Lemmy, who, who do that program normally, they haven't been broadcasting normally and if you know if you listen to our show in the past usually when we do some special events at the end we use their newsletter as kind of the template that we go from and so the newsletter is still going out but obviously there's no special events kind of like in the traditional sense going on but they are doing some pretty cool things and i said you know well we can we can spend some time on our segment talking about the things that you're putting out in the newsletter in case there are people who don't receive the newsletter, which if you're a listener of this program, you should receive the Cultural Pittsfield newsletter. Go to their website or their Facebook page and sign up for that. Um, but really, they've taken their their weekly newsletter and they've turned it into a reference and resource guide for the cultural community regarding the global pandemic. So a couple different things. If, you, if you're not aware um, that the city of Pittsfield through the city of Pittsfield dot org website has has put up a robust collection of resources including the community impact dashboard with daily reports of case totals and testing totals um you should check that out it's a valuable resource we're using it for our situational awareness and intelligence in the coordinating center so um city of pittsfield.org left hand top left hand corner there's a link it'll take you to the uh, COVID 19 page with all of our our bulletins and our announcements and our guidance and our documentation for the city and one of the first uh, options on that is the community impact dashboard that is 
updated daily by the Department of Public Services, Engineering, and uh, Mapping and GIS. They're doing a phenomenal job with that. Ricardo Moraes and uh, Ryan Grennan and that team over there. So go check that out. Uh, it's Cultural Pittsfield website, uh, uh, newsletter. Uh, if you are an organization that is doing moving some stuff online, like many of our museums and cultural venues are doing, or you're a Pittsfield business that has something special going on, or you're a Pittsfield restaurant that is doing curbside uh, pickup and delivery, and you want to use another channel to get that message out, send them an email at cultural at pittsfieldch.com. Cultural at pittsfieldch for pittsfieldcityhall.com. Uh, there's a huge list of takeout and deliveries. Uh, let's see, what else did they put in here? Cultural Pittsfield has moved a lot of content online. Um, Family Trivia Night through the Berkshire Museum. Uh, Hancock Shaker Village, it's time for the baby animals. Uh, no visits out to Hancock Shaker Village, so they've pushed a lot of their content online. Go check out Hancock Shaker Village's Facebook page. Um, there's no First Friday's Art Walk, but there is new content pushed up to Cultural Pittsfield's Facebook page and, and that particular Facebook page. So go check out Cultural Pittsfield. Check out the stuff that they have creatively pushed into a virtual format. Uh, stay in touch with our cultural institutions. And um, for at least the next several weeks to a month, we'll be uh, highlighting some stuff from their newsletter when we go on the air on Friday mornings since they're not doing their program. So, Do you know if... Is that strictly electronic, Chief, or is that the, the is it available hard copy? The newsletter? Yeah, it's an email. It comes. At, they email it out on Thursday, late morning, early afternoon. Yeah, I wasn't sure if they did a. Uh, yeah. I don't think they do a print copy that you can yeah. pick up. Yeah. But they're like you know a lot. They're having virtual art shows and they're having um, like curated art contests, so you can submit paintings or drawings that you or your children are doing. So lots of stuff going on there. So yeah. let's uh, let's do a little roundtable catch up with the with the show crew, and then we'll introduce our special guest. So, smart Gary, I'm gonna ask for the listeners because I know we've been spending a lot of time together. But what's your week been like? Um, well, we've been filling orders, doing deliveries, taking the student officers around the city yeah. to uh, help out with the deliveries, and uh, we're still just trying to beef up the Second Street Jail, the, the infrastructure there. It, I had a conversation earlier this week with Sheriff Bowler. Um, for listeners who who you know are in tune with the local news media, Sheriff Bowler has been out of work for a little while, um, dealing with some some personal illness as well as just as a force protection measure, staying away from the House of Correction. Um, Deputy Super Assistant Deputy Super, Super Deputy Superintendent Jack Quinn, the special sheriff, has kind of been running the day to day operation, so the sheriff could um, be held in reserve. But he he's feeling better, and he was up and about, and he was out for a drive, and he and his wife swung by Second Street, and I got to chat with them briefly, and uh, I had to share with him that although I didn't have anything formal, the impression I got from the work that you and Captain Briel have been doing over the last several weeks is that Jason doesn't want to go back up to Cheshire Road. <laughs> uh, Jason has made a home for himself, and he plans on keeping it and defending it. Um, and so there, there is a completely redundant communications facility blossoming on Second Street. And uh, I won't get into a lot of the the operational details but the the pittsville police department and the berkshire county sheriff's office have a great symbiotic relationship we work well hand in hand and uh for my entire almost my entire tenure as the chief my entire tenure in emergency management the sheriff's office has always been in our operations plans and our uh, emergency management plans as the provider of a location secure location for our emergency operations center um, but it's always been something that was kind of understood that in the event of an emergency we would move to a location that they provided and we would stand up the eoc the eoc doesn't didn't exist as a fixed location it was kind of a as needed thing and one of the things that has come out of of this current situation with the global pandemic because we are working in second street and that space is available is that maybe that should just be the place and we should kind of have a, a semi-permanent presence there as far as the tech and the infrastructure because in the event of an emergency instead of building it from the ground up as we've been doing for the last several weeks we would just turn on the lights and move back in yeah and uh the sheriff kind of was just he was okay with that so we may uh we may be spending time there 
indefinitely in some capacity. So we rise, we adapt, we overcome. Absolutely. All right, Lieutenant Traversa. Good you, morning. Usually I see you several times a day on a day-to-day basis, and I see Gary very rarely because he's always like <laughs> up in the rafters or down in the basement somewhere. Now it's flipped, and so I see him every day all day, and I, I only see you pretty much on Fridays, and then we spend a lot of time on email. And Your luck has turned for the better, Chief. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you been up to? Uh, uh, just uh, you know, keeping up with a couple of projects that are ongoing, um, you know, kind of navigating some some bumps in the road in terms of those it's it's a little obviously more challenging now with um people's work situations being um you know altered um taking care of some uh administrative items that you know kind of get buried and uh it's not until you get a little time to take care of them so uh catching up in that regard and been uh you know, trying to stay healthy otherwise and, you know, got a full house. So <laughs> everything that comes with that. Punching items on radio projects, finalizing radio projects. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, we have this um, EMD tr- project that we have talked about and, and um, you know, that's kind of ramping up. The, the dispatchers have been doing online training. Um, but we're preparing for the next phase, which is um, actually I got to steal Gary from you for a couple of days to install some software with the, the company. Um, and then we need to facilitate with them um, some administrative uh, training um, for myself and a, a couple other uh, of our, our staff. Um, and then we got to you know, move towards uh, implementation and turning the switch on. So everything that goes with that and uh, and the, the radio side of things, uh, you know, just continuing to move forward and, and clean up uh, that project and, um, you know, dot all the I's and cross all the T's. So. The, uh, so you mentioned the dispatcher. I want to I want to touch on both things that you just talked about. Yep. You mentioned the dispatchers, and it, we should say it's it's Friday, so we're coming to the end of it. But we are at the tail end of, and this is this is the longest special event title ever: National Public Safety Telecommunicators Week. Uh, and for the listeners, you know, what is it? Th- this is the week that we recognize the hard work and uh, the commitment and dedication of our communications personnel, of our call taker, for our case, call taker slash dispatchers, they're, they're one and the same. But for our personnel who work in the communications center 24 hours a day, every day of the year, uh, and as you know, is, is said from the, the organization that runs, uh, sponsors this week, often heard and seldom seen. Um, you know, they are the voice on the end of the phone when you call 911 or you call the business line and they are voice on the other side of the radio communicating with us and um they are definitely part you know front lines of our public safety team they they do not get enough recognition for the work that they do i've talked about this briefly in the past i have been in our dispatch center during an emerging and escalating crisis i, I thank god every time that happens that i'm not a dispatcher i, I couldn't do it I freely admit that I don't have the temerity for it. Um, it can be overwhelming and people who have never worked in public safety or who've never been in a communication center don't understand that the way the, the 911 system in this country is built up is that it's interconnected. And if there's a point of failure somewhere in the system, the system rolls over. And so we're the immediate backup for say the Berkshire County sheriffs. We were just talking about that with uh, Colonel Grady, but we're also the backup for other single point PSAPs in Berkshire County. There's a, a handful still left that maintain their own public safety answering points and they roll over to us in the event of an emergency. But those rollovers are cascading. And I was there during a weather emergency four or five years ago, and I picked up the phone just to try to be helpful. And I was taking a 911 call from Worcester. Yeah. It, yeah. You know, it, every PSAP between Worcester and Pittsfield had failed, and the call just kept rolling over. And, you know, I'm talking to a woman who was in dire crisis, and I don't know anything about 
you know, I, I know some cops in Worcester. I know some officers in Worcester, but I don't know anything about the Worcester public safety. And I don't know the geography of Worcester. I can't help her. Um, yeah. it, it was frightening. So uh, our, our dispatchers definitely don't get enough credit. Yeah. I, when I'm in the right, again, I'm, I'm not a dispatcher. I never have been. And when I'm in the room for one reason or another, I, in the phone rings, I do everything I can to let the dispatchers do their job. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, it is un, it is underappreciated what they yeah. do. Um, one of the things that I've come to realize in the last several years that we've spent a lot of time looking at um, personnel, wellness, and, and mental health and resiliency. If you're a police officer or you're a firefighter or you're an EMT paramedic, the, the tones go off or the call goes out, your adrenaline dumps, your heart races, you rush to the scene, right? We talk about all this stuff, the cumulative effects of that cycle. You get there, you do your job. And at some point, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, five hours later, there's a, there's a conclusion, there's an end. And it, many, most of the time, it's, it's a positive conclusion. We, we help somebody, we save somebody, we, we prevent the crime, whatever. And sometimes it's a, it's a horrific conclusion and we have plans for that. But you're always there at the end. You're always there to see the end of the call. The dispatchers are never there to see the end of the call. They took that call, they pushed out the information, they sent us on the call, and we went and handled the call, and then they just went and took the next call. And one of the things culturally that we're really bad about is looping back to give them some sense of closure. Yeah. Uh, and in many cases, many cases, probably most of the cases, they don't get a sense of closure. They just go from open call to open call to open call to open call, and so they're experiencing the same physiological impact of that adrenaline rush, but they never get to go back to baseline during the shift. It just keeps keeps going. So um, appreciate the work that they do for us. We have some work to do when it comes to their resiliency and their well-being, uh, and it's something that as an industry we are now more aware of, so we, we can start to work on that. But, yeah, good week for them. Yeah. And then the other thing that you you didn't mention, but it's part of this radio project. You made a you made a big decision this week regarding our, our radios. Um, yeah. As far as yeah. Fre- frequency designation. Yeah, I I think you know it's still ongoing, but you know we we need to make a change that is um, is going to be uh, impactful, and um, it making the switch. We're going to need. Uh, you know, quite a few hands that help us out over the course of probably 48 hours to, to make it as smooth as possible. So for our listeners, particularly our listeners who may be uh, scanner surfers, listen mm. to our communications on the scanner. The Pittsfield Police Department, like many mid to, you know, mid-sized to larger police departments, we have multiple radio frequencies. But we have two working radio frequencies. And in, in the industry, we refer to those as TACs. TAC yeah. 1 and TAC 2. Repeated. Right. Yeah. And so for my entire career, our primary working radio frequency has been TAC 1, and our backup frequency or our special events frequency or our emergency frequency has been TAC 2. As a result of this project, you've been managing uh, for a whole bunch of reasons, and you know, we don't want to get into a radio class, but it has to do with similar frequencies and interference from geographically close jurisdictions uh yep. TAC, TAC one has some issues there's some quality of transmission issues on TAC one and for the last what six weeks we've primarily been working on TAC two geez it, it it probably has been longer um, we went back and forth a couple times yeah. probably going back almost six months but yeah. we haven't switched to, we haven't switched off of TAC two in probably six weeks right um and the quality of radio transmission and the interference on TAC two, it, 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 it's a better frequency. It's, yeah, it's much less um, much less interference, and um, we're, we've identified you know a couple of things that that could be um, you know causing the interference on TAC one. We're still working on it. We, obviously, we can't abandon it. It is our backup. We're going to use it for emergency situations. We're going to use it for special events, um, but. As far as a daily your daily use um, frequency, we're we're going to stay with TAC two, but that involves touching all department radios, all of our equipment. So, um, you know the a hundred plus portables uh, that uh, officers are issued that they put on their belt. The 
40 to 50 mobile radios that are in all department vehicles. And then, you know, the probably, um, you know, including the dispatch radios in that room and uh, some, some other mobiles that are spread throughout the station, another 10. So we're talking, you know, 170 or so radios that, that have to be that's, um, touched. That's just P, that's it. just PPD equipment, and yeah. then this impacts all of our mutual aid partners as well. Yeah. So basically, yeah. what we're saying is that once this decision, once this, once this decision has been fully implemented, the radio frequency that we now identify as Tech Two will be our primary radio frequency, and eventually will be renamed as Tech One. That yeah. will work off of this frequency, and then the frequency that we've been working off of for God knows how long is longer than we've been cops. That has been our primary radio frequency will become our backup frequency. We'll just switch them uh, and continue to work on the interference issues that still exist on what eventually will be TAC-2 um, so that uh, hopefully when we resolve them we have two high quality frequencies but for people who do monitor us you're you're gonna start hearing us on what you've identified as historically as TAC-2 yeah it's it, I think that the you know the issue that we're experiencing with our, our current TAC-1 um, we, na- we may not be able to resolve it completely because we're, we're as you said we're getting interference from another geographical area and as equipment has improved our equipment has improved our signals got stronger so has There's. the signal of other other public safety agencies so you know it, it's like a bubble you know the bubble gets bigger and you get into each other's bubble a little more it's like two bubbles right and the bubbles yeah. are expanding and now that that area of interference where they overlap is larger yeah and so yeah. all right enough about the radios yeah so is it time for us to introduce our special in-studio right. guest this morning? I think he's, he's very excited about getting involved he, He's here. been waiting patiently, <laughs> quietly and patiently. Yeah. So if you're a regular listener and you tuned in last week, you heard that we have um, – that the police academies have been closed as a result of the global pandemic. And what that meant for the Pittsfield Police Department is we had four currently enrolled student officers who are uh, – you know, in the student officer status, they're employed by us and we're sponsoring them through the academy. But we had to find a new duty station for them. And so as of last week, they were assigned to the coordinating center uh, because of our emergency staffing plan and the restrictions on station access. And so they ended up uh, with me last week. And what that meant to me as far as this show goes is we had four guaranteed guests. We could get through four programs without having to figure out who we were going to invite or figure out how to do the call-in portion of the show. I'm not sure we're going to get enough information with one visit. We may have to, we may have to keep cycle them yeah. back through, right? As they, <laughs> as they learn things about the operations at the coordinating center or we change their duty day, yeah. uh, we might just have to keep going. We could get, we could get a couple months out of this. Yeah. So our guest in studio this morning is student officer Ellen Correct me if I mispronounce your name. It's Student Officer Jumo. Is that the proper pronunciation? Yes, sir. And uh, welcome. Thanks for coming out today. Thank you for having me. I, I'm glad to have you here this morning, but I'm sorry that that means you're going to miss the road trip to Agawam because at least two of your classmates are headed down to the bunker. It's not the bunker. It's, uh, it's the Region 3 and 4 MEMA office. But they're on their way shortly with Captain Brielt from the uh, Sheriff's Department to go grab that supply order we were waiting all day yesterday for. So you're going to miss that. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Thank we'll, you. We'll make it up. We're going to have to deliver some of the stuff that's coming in from Magawam to North Adams and Great Barrington. So maybe we'll get you on one of those trips. <laughs> so um, welcome to On Patrol with the PPD. Thanks. We're going to we're going to uh, learn a little bit about you to start with, and then we'll go to our station identification break in a couple of minutes, and then we'll just kind of you know the Lieutenant and I, and maybe even Smart Gary over there, will throw some questions at you. I have to remind everybody, I have to run out and get on the conference call at 10, so I'll be cutting out of here a couple minutes early again. I apologize. Um, so this group of student officers is, I think, the only way, the only word that adequately expresses it is interesting. Um, because like several of, our, several of our last couple of classes, not, not locals, right, because we were working off the statewide list, not, not necessarily Pittsfield residents. Um, student officer Jumo, you know, is Commonwealth resident. But when I say not local, it that's not local in a in a very different way, right? So um, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Uh, 
I've lived in uh, Natick, Massachusetts for the past 12 years. 12 years. 12 years. But before Natick, where did you live? Uh, prior to Natick, I lived in Malden. I lived in Worcester yep. uh, for a long time as well. Originally from Haiti. Originally from Haiti. Yes, sir. Uh, and I know this from your... So well, let's stick on this for a little bit. How long have you been in the United States? Um, since I was 12 years old. Right. Now 41, so it's been a long time. A while, yeah. yes. Yes, sir. But the first 12 years of your life in, in Haiti... Yes, sir. And we asked you during your interview, um, you know, when I ask everybody in their interview why I want to be a Pittsfield police officer, your explanation for why you want to be a police officer in general, but a Pittsfield police officer in particular, is a little bit different than the answer we normally get. So what uh, what led you, because you're, you're, you're not normal recruit age, you're a little bit older, right? You're in 40s. So um, what led you to decide that you were going to, at this point in your life, try to become a police officer, particularly a police officer in Pittsfield? Well, the decision started when I was um, 34. I've been trying for a long time, took the test uh, several occasions and uh, went to multiple interviews and um, I fell in love with the job when I work at the emergency room. I had a platform to help people uh, first-handed. I've been to Pittsfield several times from living in, uh, in Worcester. And um, because of the geographic and does a huge Spanish community in Pittsfield, I feel like I could be a tremendous asset. So when you say because there's a large Spanish community here, you're talking because of language skills. Yes, sir. And being from Haiti, I mean, you're clearly fluent in English and you mentioned Spanish, but you speak other languages as well, right? Yes, sir. So how many languages do you speak? Uh, I speak Creole, French, uh, Spanish. And uh, that's that's basically it. In English, in English, right, yeah. So love it. Yeah, um, you know, and I just I, I wanted to draw that out because obviously we recognize as an organization and as an industry that when we have officers of diverse backgrounds and experiences, particularly with strong language skills, that that's that's a tool for us. That's a force, force multiplier for us, to the point where we've actually had a program for you know the a long time now to encourage our officers to develop skill in Spanish and for the last couple of years we've recognized other languages including French um, but you're coming to us with that uh, not as something that you know we picked up as a you know Pittsfield born and bred I took some classes for language when I was in high school or college so just you, you this is your experience you speak these right it's it's a huge asset for us uh, I know that yes you know, Spanish is a, a language that we're particularly interested in because we do have a large uh, Spanish and Latino and Latinx population French we know is one of the, the four top languages spoken by the immigrant community here because of various uh, pockets that come from French speaking parts of, of Africa and the Caribbean I'm not sure how much call we're going to have to draw on your use of Creole uh, that might come up but uh, something good for us to have in our pocket so um, what brought your family from Haiti to the United States? Uh, my mom came here uh, such a long time ago. My mother came here for such a long time ago. Uh, it's kind of hard to recall exactly, but uh, the United States it is, is the lane of opportunities. Um, there are so much, uh, as long as you're willing to put in the work, I think there are great opportunities to become whoever you want to be. Um, so you've been here since you were 12 years old yes sir grew up in the eastern part of the state uh, where'd you go to high school I went to West Rosemary High School it's a great high school yes, sir. Yeah. did you play sports in school uh, I played a little bit of football basketball uh, some baseball baseball yeah. you and Lieutenant Traverse have that in common yep were you a good athlete uh, right now, I think I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> Better now than you were in high school? Yes, sir. That, that, you know what? I, I share that with you, too. Um, what'd you do after high school? Uh, right after high school, I went to Fisher College. Uh, it's a great school. It was a great private school. It was an all-female school. Uh, that same school, uh, in 98, they started, implemented um, men into their curriculum. And after that, I went to Northeastern University. Um, uh, UMass, uh, Boston, uh, uh, Becker College, 
in uh, Mass Bay Community College. What did you study? I studied, uh, uh, right after high school, I studied uh, computer technology in uh, Fisher College, Northeastern. I went for electrical engineering. And um, I started from UMass and Mass Bay studying nursing. And um, I earned a bachelor's degree at uh, Becker College in business administration. Not the typical course curriculum for our law enforcement candidates and recruits. Quite the variety Quite of the variety. Uh, experience in the classroom, though. That's a lot funny. of which is going to be useful as a, as a police officer. So we're at the uh, halfway point here. We're going to get a, another check of the weather, station identification, and uh, some PSAs. And then we'll come back and we'll learn some more about Student Officer Jumo's professional development prior to joining the PPD. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area. Winter weather advisory in effect from 7 p.m. this evening to 10 a.m. EDT Saturday. Today, mostly sunny. A slight chance of snow showers this morning. Highs in the mid 40s. West wind 10 to 15 miles per hour with gusts up to 25 miles per hour. Chance of snow 20%. Tonight, a chance of rain in the evening. Snow. Snow accumulation of 3 to 5 inches. Cold with lows around 30. Southwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour, becoming east after midnight. Chance of precipitation 90%. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Hi, this is Officer Darren Derby with the Pittsfield Police Department. Better weather is around the corner. Expect an increase in the number of pedestrians on walkways, cyclists sharing our roads, and kids playing outside. It is imperative we all pay better attention while driving, walking, running, and cycling. So we need to do our part in keeping everyone safe by adhering to the rules of the road. Wear bright clothing if you are walking or running. If you are driving, please slow down and don't drive while distracted. Pay attention. Let's keep each other safe. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union. Proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. And from BeFair. BeFair is one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people we support, visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. PCTV and WTBR are bringing Restaurant Rush back. Mark your calendars for Wednesday, May 13th for an evening of great food, music, raffles, and more at the Tavern at the A on Crane Ave in Pittsfield. If you're a local restaurant, we want to hear from you. This is your opportunity to showcase a dish in front of over 100 guests. Space is limited, so call 413-445-4234 today to reserve your spot and make sure your restaurant is represented at PCTV and WTBR's Restaurant Rush. Good morning. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in to On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio. This is the weekly radio program of the Pittsfield Police Department. Uh, we are continuing to broadcast this show live throughout the global pandemic that we've all been dealing with for the last several weeks. And one of the reasons that we're continuing to broadcast this live is you know, for our listeners who may be new to the program, as a reminder, although we're happy to have this show as a, as a communications channel and a mechanism for our community outreach efforts, the reason that we decided to do this and, and add this capability or skill set was so in an emergency management function, a team from the department could come out here and broadcast live information. And although we built the capability because we thought it was going to be something we would do for the short duration during a weather emergency or during a, a flood or following a, a large-scale fire or something like that. It has proven that because we are <clears throat> in first uh, public safety first responders, essential workers, and because we are already practicing some force protection, that uh, the radio station allowed us to continue to broadcast. So we get to talk about our ongoing efforts um, as municipal government in dealing with COVID-19 on a regular basis because we have the skill set and the capability now and we have access to the studio. Um, and so we're happy, uh, you know, as happy as you can be given all of the circumstances we're dealing with to be able to continue to practice this particular skill set and improve this 
communications channel uh, on behalf of all of City of Pittsfield departments. Uh, excuse me for a second, Lieutenant. Yeah, it, it's um, I, it, it's a great uh, opportunity for us to get in here and, and have that ability. Um, just as long as we figure out how to get in the building, right? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't talk about that at all before we started. So if you're a regular listener, you know last week the show the show was abbreviated and truncated. And I haven't gotten the file of last week's show to put it up on SoundCloud yet. But um, we had a little difficulty getting into the building. Um, no no such stress today. Uh, Lieutenant brought the emergency key with him just in case, but the building was open when he got here. Uh, however, we did have some difficulty with the alarm. Yeah. Uh, so, hopefully you got that figured out now. <laughs> every, every week is going to be a learning opportunity. Yeah. Uh, so if you're just tuning in, if you weren't with us for the top of the hour, uh, we have a, we, we have three, three quarters of the regular on patrol with the PPD crew in studio this morning. We've sent up a flare. I'm trying to put out a be on the lookout for Officer Derby. Hey, we need to put him on a milk carton. Officer Derby has just decided with no communication with any of us that because of the force protection measures, he he doesn't have to show up for the show or even let us know what his plan is anymore. And just gone. It's like he got abducted by aliens. (laughs) I know he's working because I talked to him yesterday. Instead of where's Waldo, it's going to be where's Darren. We totally should start that game. If you're a regular listener and you follow us on social media, if you see Officer Derby in the wild, snap a photo of him, go to the department or my Facebook or uh, Twitter or Instagram page and hashtag where's Derby (laughs) and uh, and let us know. If you tag WTBR, uh, these guys will take advantage of that and, and copy it and post it to their social media as well. So we have a special guest in the studio this morning. We were learning a little bit about him, student officer Jumo. is uh, one of the student officers currently assigned to the coordinating center after the academy's closed. And uh, he was telling us a little bit about his, his youth and his upbringing, his educational experience. He's got a bachelor's degree. So... Let's let's start after college. What'd you do when? Because you've had an interesting professional career. What'd you do when you got out of school? Well, uh, when I got out of school, I started working at the Marriott, and um, I was working at the front desk. Did some accounting, uh, did the check in and check out uh, the hotel guests, and after that, I worked for Phillips Lifeline for about ten years, on and off, and. Um, the, the hospital. Spent a lot of time, a lot of years working in the emergency room, which I've learned a lot. I've learned this is ba- this, that's where basically I I um, grow for the love of being a, a police officer um, because uh, to me it's it's all about getting the platform to help people. What'd you do when you worked for the hospital? Uh, back when I worked at the hospital, I worked in the, since I went to nursing school, I was working at the I was the ER coordinator, basically. Uh, when a patient comes in, various type of illness, I would assign them to rooms and based on their, their needs. How long has it been since you worked in the healthcare field? <clears throat> Not too long ago. I would say three years ago. So obviously, and which hospital was this? That was the Whitten Hospital in Everett. Right. So obviously you have a lot of friends still in the industry. This, that's got to be a little stressful right now, right? Yes. My <laughs> sister's an NP and one of them's a regular nurse at the hospital. So, I mean, I think everybody in the world is aware of this now, but I was watching some news uh, this morning on the morning news cycle. Our medical providers, um, you know, from from all disciplines, right, you know, doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, respiratory technicians, LPN, medical providers, if you work in that environment, going to work exposes you to a high degree of risk in, in this circumstance and i was reading a news article this morning and you know kudos to these people because you know i I think that one of i'm paraphrasing but one of the nurses said you know i i signed up to be a provider to be a healthcare provider but i don't think i signed up to be a hero right in normal times doctors and nurses don't stage and wait for the police to clear the scene Right. It's a different attitude. It's a different mindset. Um, they're, I don't want to say second responders, but they're, they kind of wait for us to bring the patients to them. And that's not the, 
that's not the normal that they're dealing with now. The area they work is the hotbed of activity. They're in the hot zone. And so they're gearing up and putting on their personal protective equipment, and, and they're going into a high-risk environment to continue to render aid. And that's had to have been a gut check for many people, right? Because a hospital is generally supposed to be a safe place, right? Like we, we deal with this sometimes when we've got large-scale incidents in the community where we're on the scene, let's say of a shooting. So the police and fire and EMS run the scene of a shooting and we stabilize that scene and we transport a patient or EMS, EMS transports a patient. And then as a result of the emotions that led to the shooting, involved parties show up at the hospital. And all of a sudden the hospital, a safe space, a secure space becomes a secondary scene. And now we got to go down there and we got to deal with that. And, you know, Sheriff's Department has a, a, a detail there as a result of that. Um, but even that's outside of the treatment space for the most part. Right. Now that, that same heightened awareness that would be on that initial shooting scene is in the ED. It's in the respiratory units. It's in the ICU. And they're, you know, the, the comparison has been made. They're gearing up and going to war every day right. and the shifts are long and the pp is burdensome and it you know it's uncomfortable you see, see some of the stuff on social media when these doctors and these nurses gear down at the end of their shift and just the bruising uh that because continual wearing of ppe you know this stuff's supposed to be worn for a short duration and then you properly doff it take it off and you decontaminate and you go on to the next thing right they're living in it um it's 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 nothing short of miraculous and commendable, and, and my heart goes out to them, and I thank every single one of them for doing what you're doing during this global pandemic. So when did you leave the hospital? I left the hospital, I, I believe, thinking back uh, two years ago, 2017. And then what would you do? The end. And then I went back to my old job um, working for Phillips Lifeline in the IT department, okay. um, helping out. Uh, for those who are not familiar with Lifeline, Phillips Lifeline is the company. Uh, we have many commercials on TV, such as Life Alert, uh, Falling and I Can't Get Up. And um, we, we have subscribers, they have a button that they press and we send them help based on their needs. So a wide variety of experiences and a whole bunch of hospitality, healthcare, IT infrastructure, kind of, you know, Medical alert is almost public safety communications integration. Yeah. Yep. And and then sometime in the last what year, year, not quite year, you you got the notice that we were hiring and you were up on the list. And you decided to leave all that behind. I've been waiting <laughs> to get an opportunity for so long. And um uh, I remembered um back in uh January, um we I got the email from civil services and I came down and signed my name and unfortunately I was too far down the list and I kept in communication with Lieutenant Madalena and uh, months down the line um, there was another opportunity we got an email and me and my girlfriend was coming from the movies at the time she was like oh my god I feel so great about this you know this looks like uh, it could work you can have an opportunity and she never said anything like that to me and uh, that was the beginning of a great process. So when did we send you that email for this particular process? Uh, I think it was back in February. I February? Think. Yes, sir. So, and February of, of 19 or 20? Uh, February of 19. February of 19. Yeah. Yes, and so when did, uh, uh, when did you come in and meet with the background investigation staff for your first like, application screening meeting? Uh, it, it took a while. I think from the moment I got the email from the PT uh, testing to the various interviews, I think it was probably like uh, maybe six months down the line. Six months from the application dissemination meeting and the review and then you got to come in for the interviews and the PAT and the PT test. So you're in the group that we had for the PT test at Taconic, right? Yes, sir. So you're the first group that we had to administer that test to. That was last summer. It was hot. It was hot, sir. It was about uh, 
100 degrees, but it felt more like 110. Yeah. It, maybe not Haiti hot, but it was hot. Yeah. Like it, Sergeant Mazio was responsible for helping put that together. And there was so much concern about because it was the first time we had to administer that test. It's the new physical, uh, uh, it's not the physical abilities test, it's the new PT test, the pre academy PT assessment. It's the first time we had to administer it under the new guidelines, and it includes um, a run. And we were so worried about what we could potentially do or could potentially happen because we were going to administer this PT test in that heat that Sergeant Mazio kind of put out an internal inquiry and we made a bunch of requests and we ended up deploying a bunch of special equipment. Like we got the Homeland Security misters and uh, EMS came down with like a rehydration uh, uh, cooling station. We had like water stations set up. And I, I remember that I actually had a personal appointment earlier in the day. I was going down to um, a seminar for jujitsu. And so I told Sergeant Mazio, so when I get done and I get cleaned up, I'll stop by. And I walked back out of the center. I was like, I, I'm really concerned that we might have to hospitalize some of these kids. Because of the five of you that we sent to the academy, you're just the ones that were successful. Right? There was like 20 some odd people screening that day. Um, it, it was a brutal day. Yeah, that was a hospital. Yeah, you made it through that. And then uh, that would have led to the pre-academy time so when did we bring you in for your your admin time um that was uh february 1st okay. two weeks so you came in and you worked on admin there's a whole bunch of days of just going through your equipment making sure your gear was good we had, you and well the group and i had a brief conversation about making sure you were ready to, for the academy you thought you were ready for the academy you in particular thought you were ready for the academy Yes, sir. I think uh, when it comes to day one, uh, it's easy for anyone to go to the interviews and talk to your the, the chief and the staff and let them know how much you want to help and how ready you are. And uh, day one, uh, when you show up at the academy, uh, you have to prove it to the staff. And most importantly, you have to prove it to yourself that you belong there and this is what you really want to do. It's shock to the system, right? It's shocking, challenging. It, it's, you know, I've, I've, I went through in doc at the naval academy and you know in doc when i went to officer candidate school in the marine corps been through the police academy as a student but but i'm telling you I, i've conducted several academies as a staff instructor every single one of them is different and it's deliberate right no matter how prepared a student officer thinks they are going into the academy the advantage goes to the house. The staff instructors always have the advantage. And I, I tell this to the candidates when they ask me if they're in college and I'm talking to them or in that pre-academy, you know, civil service testing phase. As prepared as you think you are, you can't be right. Because as soon as you do something, they'll just flip the script yeah, on you. Anything. They'll change it, right? doesn't yep. matter. Yep. And uh, you, you identify. You hit the nail on the head. It's not about finding out how prepared the students are at that point in the training it's about finding out how committed the student officers are how much they want to be there how badly they want to succeed and what are they willing to contend with and overcome to prove to the staff that they've got what it takes right? because you know the the analysis i always use when I'm talking with new student officers or pre-academy people who have expressed an interest is at the end of that training process, as a staff instructor and a police officer, I only want the answer to one question. Do I want this officer being the person who is coming to assist me when my life's on the line? That's, that's the question that I have to resolve for myself as a staff instructor. And if the answer to that question is yes, yep, look at this person. I have faith that when my life is on the line, when it's all going bad, that they're coming and they're going to be there for me. Do anything we can to help you succeed. If the answer to that is no, you're not going to make it. <laughs> um, and it's, it's a high standard, but it's a standard that we have to adhere to if we're going to keep communities safe. We have to know that the people who are going to come out successful on the other end of that training program are committed to the mission. You can't be there for yourself. So you've been in the academy for, what would we say, about 10 weeks, 11 weeks? When they about 11 weeks, yes, sir. So what was that like? Uh, 
I had a great time at the academy personally. Uh, my mindset in the academy was uh, every day is the most important day. Uh, I know a lot of student officers uh, looking for that graduation day on July 10th. Uh, mine was uh, that day is the most important day, and I, and I have to earn my ticket for the next day. Because if I don't make it past that day, I don't get to see the next day. Just get through lunch. It's like the Navy saying. Just only, get through lunch. The only, the only easy, easy day, day is yesterday. yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's, that is a mentality in the SEAL community. and uh, I don't remember which, which author it is. I think it, um, I can't remember. It might have been Marcus Luttrell when he was in, he was talking about going through uh, BUDS, basic underwater demolition SEAL training. And he said his whole attitude was just get to the next meal. If I could just get to the next meal and take, you know, the entire, at the end of it, it was just a series of a whole bunch of meals. But yep. instead of trying to get through a month or get through a week or just get, just get to the next meal, that was every, every meal was a victory. Um, I don't dig up bad memories, but when we have student officers in the academy, um, because of the way the academy is set up, it's paramilitary. When there are bumps in the road and there are hiccups, there are inevitably bumps in the road. Notices get sent to the training cadre, and then they they get copied to the chief. And uh, your your first your first week week and a half, I saw your name a couple times. I haven't seen it since, right? I'm knock on wood. But uh, your your name came through my inbox a couple times when you first got down to the academy. It's not an easy transition, is it? Uh, no, sir. It's um it's a learning process. Uh, to make sure you're squared away each and every day and uh, to make sure you do things not the way you want to do things but the way they want to do things and there's a standard uh, there's an expectancy of every student officer and you have to make sure you follow these guidelines to the T and and you know it's for the listeners that we're not we're not talking about like major you know Square your uniform away, wear your uniform, be on time. All those are those are things that just that's expected. It, some of this stuff in hindsight you'll look back and it's kinda nitpicky, right? You know, your name on every piece of equipment that you report with. Uh, it, I'm, again, I don't I'm not gonna get into a lot of details, but it's just things that we say it and you acknowledge it and we say it and you acknowledge it and we say it and you acknowledge it. And then you're there, and the hammer drops, and it's like a whirlwind, and they pick up that one item, that one tiny ridiculous item. And you're like, you meant that too? We said, we said everything. When we said everything, we meant everything. So it's not just about commitment. It's about how you handle that adversity. Right. It, and, you know, that, that is part of the challenge. This too shall pass. Sure, yeah. and, and they they bring a lot of adversities. They find yeah. ways. They they they, they want to know how you respond to things, basically. So, yeah. also, I think from my experience at the academy, the the educators. I can't give enough credit to educators. They have some phenomenal educate educators at the academy. The way they teach, um, to teach a class for eight hours, it's not easy to bring enthusiasm. Uh, it's not, and I think the way they explain the law. Uh, the process and there's one thing that you don't understand uh, the way the educators the teacher will stop everything to make to make sure that you understand everything to the T and they use sample terms to explain things to us and I think if I had those those same educators back in nursing school or engineering school I definitely would be a doctor by now <laughs> so I appreciate you bringing that up because I've talked about this with student officers in the past I think I've talked about it on the program so I'm, I'm blessed I've had some great academic experiences and the difference between a college experience and the in the police Academy is that you know um, if you get a C in college that's fine it's, you know you come out you're, you're gonna get to see you're gonna graduate but if you're doing C and D level work in the police academy, we're not sure you can do the job. And so that's not going to be okay. So the standard to which they want you to be able to retain and repeat this information is high. Uh, and the expectations are high because when you're trying to decide whether you're going to make an arrest, you don't get to go look it up. You need to know that stuff. Uh, and we always say, you know, the decision you make in 20 seconds on the side of the road, the attorneys are going to get to evaluate and tear up for seven years before it comes back. So um, a high degree of, of necessity to be able to retain the information, analyze the information, and critically determine actions based on the information 
without necessarily having the benefit to ask for assistance. Of course, you know, there's always a supervisor on. There's, you can always get experts. But you have to make that decision, and you have to live with it. And so the way that the instructors at the police academy teach this stuff is designed to be very accessible and to be readily retained. Uh, because every person coming out of that pipeline has to perform at that standard. Uh, and you know what? It, like I said, I've had some great academic experiences. But the, the, the level of instruction I got in the police academy was every bit as good as the level of instruction I got at the Naval Academy or at Williams, uh, particularly the legal instruction. It was, it was amazing. Um, and they're all, for the most part, working officers, working police officers. Working officers or working prosecutors when yeah. it comes to the law stuff. Yeah. Um, but subject matter experts in their field. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. Um, so, you're the you're one of the first classes in the Commonwealth to use the new curriculum. So we talked about that a little bit offline. That's different, right? They're they're using the I say chapters. They're not chapters. They're modules, right? Yes. Sir. Like the 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 academy's broken into three different modules. It's incremental. It's stepping stones. A lot more situational based training. A lot more role playing than historically in the academy. But one of the things, and I'll, I'm going to finish with this before I go jump on this conference call, and then the lieutenant will pick your brain for a couple minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I know from my academy experience is that you, you gel as a unit. You become part of the team, particularly amongst your fellow officers, your student officers from your department. But you were in the academy at the outset of COVID-19, and they forced you to social distance within your own unit. Like You, you went from having the ability to kind of travel as a team to being forced to travel alone. That had to be a stressor. Uh, yes, sir. Oh. Uh, it's the, the way the academy is set up in, uh, as a whole in general and the, the impact with COVID-19, that's something we have to adjust to uh, because as a law enforcement, you're always making, uh, you're always adjusting. That's just the way the job is. So that's just one part of the process. Absolutely, but they took you away from your backup. That's just weird, right? That's an odd thing for us to do in law enforcement, is separate you from your backup. All right, Lieutenant, I'm going to head out to jump on the conference call. All right. Leave this to you. Smart, so, smart Gary, I'll see you shortly. Yes, sir. We don't have a, a much time left, but just in the few minutes that we do, uh, and I asked uh, Student Officer Jones this last week, what, what was or what has been the most unexpected um, experience in the academy what, what is it that you know you just either weren't didn't foresee or weren't uh, made aware of I would say uh, defensive tactics okay it's uh, it's completely different uh, the way it's scheduled um, the fightings the one-on-one -on -one, and, and you guys just kind of are, are you know kind of scratching the surface on the DT right now at this point right because you got you got cut short. Yes, sir. We were in the middle of the DT, but there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of things that they do. Uh, we have to cut short. We have to implement and do something a little bit different. But I, I think DT is completely different. It's something that um, it's a it's a learning curve, and uh, it's just the way it was set up as a general. It was completely different from what I expected. Yeah. Uh, it, it. There's a lot of stuff on DT about staying in shape and. Uh, um, the the physical parts of, of being able to um, uh, handle certain fightings style. So for the listeners, you know, DT is defensive tactics, as a, and not to be confused with PT, which is your physical training. Yes, sir. Which so DT is a, a learning module that you you know every Friday, right? at yes, this sir. point of the academy although they had to cut back on that because of the you can't um train dt in social distance so there had to be some adjustments that were made there but you uh the pt is ongoing a daily correct and the reason why dt is on uh, just to touch on that real quick the reason why dt uh is on fridays uh from what i was told is it used to be on wednesdays and it's so intense that they move it to Friday because you can walk the following day. To give you a couple of days they to recover over the weekend. And you need every 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 hour of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we're just about out of time. Thanks for being on with us.
Um, and that is going to conclude another show, uh, another week of On Patrol with the PPD. You want to give us a st- station identifier on the way out, Gare? 89.7 WTBR-FM. Everybody have a great weekend.